seat and I invite you to turn with me uh, to Psalm 98. Most of you know that for this month we've been reflecting on different psalms to help us think about the significance of the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to uh, have our final meditation on Psalm 98. You know, you might think that's a a strange psalm to finish up with. After all, there's no there's no explicit reference to uh, to the incarnation or to Christ. Uh, So you might be thinking, why this psalm? Well, in uh, 1719, uh, Isaac Watts wrote uh, a song based on Psalm 98. He, he titled it originally, Messiah and His uh, Kingdom, or com- his, Messiah's Coming and Kingdom, excuse me. And uh, it might surprise some of us to, uh, to find out that, at least in Watts's mind, uh, it was about the second coming of Christ, the final return of uh, the Lord Jesus, and not his first coming into the world and his birth. It's not originally a Christmas carol at all, in other words. Uh, It wasn't written in his original intent to speak about the first coming of Jesus. But then along came a man by the name of Lowell Mason, uh, roughly a century later, around 1830, uh, I think it's 1839. And he, he set Watts's words to the tune that we are now uh, familiar with, uh, Joy to the World. Uh, he adapted it from a couple of places in Handel's Messiah and suddenly changed how we understand uh, Watts's song altogether. And, and now we certainly think of it as a Christmas hymn, a song about the birth of Christ, his first coming into the world. And so Mason saw Psalm 98 as a song about the first coming, the first appearing of Jesus and its consequences. But in Watts's mind, he wrote the hymn originally to be about the second coming of Christ. And it's all based on this psalm, Psalm 98. And for what it's worth, for my own part, I want to suggest this morning, I think they're both right. I think they're both correct. The first and second coming of Christ are in this psalm. And The birth of the Lord Jesus began something that he is going to uh, return and bring to completion in his second coming. We could even say the birth of Christ inaugurated the new creation, which Christ in his second coming will consummate. Jesus was, was born, in the words of Psalm 98, to work salvation, and as we'll see, to bring about a new world, which he will come back and establish in its full reality. The new creation erupted in the birth of Christ in the midst of this old world with the birth of the the virgin's child. And the new creation will finally swallow up death and sin forever when Jesus returns. Now, before we read Psalm 98 together, just notice the way that worship explodes, how it expands in this psalm. In the opening three verses, we have <clears throat> the salvation of the Lord described, God's salvation. And then in verses four through six, you have the, the people who have 
uh, received this salvation, who've experienced it, singing joyful praises to the Lord. And then in verses 7 through 9, all of creation joins in the course of praise with the, the rivers and the hills and the mountains rejoicing. Creation itself clapping its hands and singing for joy before the Lord. It's a beautiful description of what will occur at the return of Christ. But another thing you cannot miss, and I don't want us to miss today, is how this psalm overflows with exuberant joy. I think it is perfectly suited for a festal occasion such as this. Psalm 98 is full of joy because God's salvation has come and is coming again and will sweep up everything in its scope. And this is, this is a, a message that we need to hear and remember again and again in the midst of all of the uncertainty of things in this world, in the midst of all of the uncertainties of things going on in our lives, in the midst of all the pain that has been etched upon our hearts in the last year, this psalm reminds us that because of Jesus' birth in the past, our salvation is secured. And all things, everything, will be made right in the end. Everything, as it's been said, everything sad will come untrue. And creation itself will burst forth in joyful praise to the King of, of Kings. And so knowing, knowing that this is our secure future, because Jesus has come and worked salvation, and he now reigns at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that enables us to live today and tomorrow with great hope and an unshakable joy, no matter what 2023 may have in store for us. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 98, the entirety of it. Let's hear what God has to say to the church today. A psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. <clears throat> well, if you look at verses in, uh, one through three, as I said, it, it's all about 
God's salvation. In just the span of those three verses, you have uh, salvation mentioned, I think, five times. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed it. Um, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And notice as well how God's salvation is described when it says he has done marvelous things. Marvelous indeed. However, I don't think that that translation helps us grasp what's really being said here in Psalm 98 as God's salvation is being described. The word is wonders. He has worked wonders. It's it's a word that means, if we're going to translate it, something like miraculous or supernatural. So it's saying, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done miraculous things. That is the scale of the intervention that you and I need, friends. We, we, not, not, not just something that gives us a kind of spiritual pick-me-up. Uh, we, we didn't just need a, a motivational talk to get us going. We didn't just need uh, a good example to show us the way that we should go. We need something miraculous, something supernatural to take place to be saved. We need a miracle. And when you think about it, Israel in Egypt really illustrates this point for us, doesn't it? When Israel was in bondage in in slavery, they needed supernatural divine intervention. A, A good motivational speaker wouldn't do it. I think that's one of the reasons God sent a messenger with a speech impediment to deliver them. They needed divine intervention. They needed God to do something supernatural to bring them out of slavery and to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is exactly what God has done for us in our hopeless and helpless condition by working salvation for us. You see, like Israel, we cannot save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves And so God had to do something miraculous. He had to come down in person, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us. Isn't isn't that what Gabriel announced when he he said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, Nothing will be impossible with God. It's an angelic announcement of the miraculous conception that will change everything. You see, God acted to rescue us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we, we can describe it in these terms. It is a wonder. It is the wonder of wonders, the gift of God's very own Son. Notice the imagery that's used to describe how God works salvation in the second part of verse 1. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. It's the same imagery, again, that is used to describe how God redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt. And multiple times this 
uh, language is used. But let me just point you to one example. Through Moses, God said to Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you, here it is, with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And this is precisely the imagery that Mary uses or used when she rejoiced in what God was doing in the baby she carried within her womb. Remember in in the Magnificat, Luke chapter 1, verse 51, she says, The Lord has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In other words, the birth of Jesus is the revelation of the Lord's right hand and his strong and holy arm. The Lord Jesus is the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God redeeming his people, working wonders. And so I wonder, do do you see the wonder? Do you sense the sheer wonder, the wonder reflected in this psalm that inspires in the hearts of God's people a new song that, that calls for all the earth to sing and shout with praise. After all, God became man. Wrap your mind around that. The eternal Son of God took flesh and walked and dwelled among us. He became and remains forevermore a human being. Flesh and blood dwells in heaven right now at the right hand of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked among us healing the sick, showing mercy To the needy, raising the dead, and by his obedient life and his substitutionary death and his victorious resurrection from the grave, he has worked salvation for us. And it results in all of these wonderful blessings former enemies reconciled to God, former orphans adopted into the family of God, those who were formerly at enmity with God, now reconciled at peace with God. Sinners forgiven and declared righteous, the blind receiving sight, the deaf being made to hear, slaves being set free, the dead being raised to walk in newness of life. And notice who this salvation is for in verses 2 and 3. To whom is it made known? The Lord has made known his salvation. He has Revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see, the salvation that Christ came to work was not done in secret. It was done publicly. The salvation worked by God's right hand and holy arm has not been kept a secret for a select few. The Lord, the psalmist says, the Lord has made it known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all peoples. You remember what John the Baptist, one of the things John the Baptist said is he prepared the way for Jesus. 
In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 6, he said, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. You see, the good news of salvation worked by Jesus it is not a secret message for a special group. It is good news for everyone, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. Some of us in theology group just read a chapter where the author gave, I think, a really helpful description. He talked about the aspirational intent of the gospel being universal. And so its aspirational universal intent means that it's a personal gift written out to all of its hearers. You understand what that means? Who, who, is, who is salvation for? You know, it's Christmas time. Who, whose name is written on the wrapping paper? It's written out to you. Your, your name is on the gift. The gift is made out to you. All the ends of the earth, everyone, everywhere, yes, but this gift is personal. It addresses us as individuals as well. And this sal- salvation that he has worked is a gift in the truest, deepest, realest sense of the term. And let's be honest, we're thinking about gift giving this time of the year and we tend to think of gifts as something that need to be earned or reciprocated, right? Um, you only get gifts if you've been nice, And maybe some of us don't want others to give us gifts because then we'll feel obligated to get a gift for them in return. But strictly speaking, this is not how gifts work, right? Jesus is is called the, the gift of God, right? Salvation is a gift from God. And that means you don't qualify for it. You don't earn it. You don't do your best and say, okay, now, now I'm worthy of it. You don't clean up your act in order to gain it. You don't persuade God by trying to be nice. He came to work salvation for us. What's the New Testament say? When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, when we were enemies of God. He, he came for the helpless poor, for those who have no strength. While we were helpless and utterly lost, cold, dead, hostile, and adverse. Continue on with the negative and the pejorative descriptions. Christ came in that context to work salvation to give us the gift of God. And God makes this salvation known to the nations to give us new life as a free gift. See, God is the giver of the gift, and God the Son is himself the gift. And the gift is held out before all nations. The Lord has made it known. And a question I think we ought to ask ourselves is, why would we ever, why would anyone ever want to leave such a gift unopened and unreceived? This this psalm tells us what happens to us when we are the recipients of this gift. Among other things, it tells us it puts a new song into your heart. I can't, I can't help but think of Miriam after the people of Israel were delivered from the Egyptian army. It makes you want to sing and dance before the Lord and shout with joy. This is what happens 
when we really come to terms with the scale and the scope of what God has worked through the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 calls for a new song, and verse 4 talks about the sound of melody, and some of us, I think, will be uh, very grateful that this psalm also says we can settle for making a joyful noise. Uh, Augustine, commenting on verse 4, says, and I'm going to quote him here, he says, Rejoice and speak of what makes you happy. But if you cannot find words for it, shout for joy. Let your shouting express your gladness if your speech cannot. But one way or another, do not let your joy be silent. Let your heart not be silent about its God or silent about his gifts. Some of you, you know, this week I I commented online about... uh, the World Cup final, and uh, I shared a video of a well-known uh, sports commentator who's from Argentina, and he was at the World Cup final. And it's this clip of him watching the shootout and the moment when Argentina uh, <clears throat> wins the World Cup final. And uh, there's just this, ex- just this expression of joy on his face that is indescribable. Uh, instantly his, his eyes well up with tears of joy. And he is so overwhelmed, he loses the ability to articulate sentences. And for a few moments, all he can shout again and again is, Argentina champions, Argentina champions, as he's grabbing the guy next to him and hugging him. And uh, the man knows how much it means to him. So he's, you know, he's patting him on the, the back. And Honestly, I, you know, this was one of the best World Cup finals I think I've ever seen. And I enjoyed watching celebrations in Argentina just as much as I enjoyed watching the game. Um, <clears throat> I thought as I was watching the celebrations, this is, this is just a glimpse. This is a, a picture of what it is one day going to be like when we see Jesus come again to judge the world and to make all things new. We'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to that uh, idea here in a few minutes as we work on in Psalm 98. But one of the things I want to say at this point is Psalm 98 is telling us we do not need to wait until then to celebrate. We do not need to wait until his second appearing to rejoice with exuberant joy. We can and we should celebrate now because as Psalm 98 says, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness and he has worked salvation and he's made it known to us. God has already dealt decisively with our greatest need. He has done something that eclipses the accomplishments of a World Cup victory when he redeemed you and me by sending his son Jesus into the world to lay down his life on a cross. And so how how should we respond? Psalm 98 is giving us part of the picture. With a joyful noise to the Lord, with singing, you know, dare I say it, among Presbyterians, break out the tambourine, right? break out the horn, break out the instruments, and shout with joy before 
the Lord. This is what Psalm 98 is saying, to make a joyful noise. The celebrations of God's people should put World Cup celebrations to shame. Because what Jesus has done is so much greater and so much better and so much more significant and so much more lasting in its implications. You know, I, part, part of the joy I experienced in watching Argentina win the World Cup was knowing that Argentina has had a pretty rough year this past year. Uh, they've, as a nation, been through some difficult things. And, you know, there, there was this, there was, it's, it's just a sports game. It's just a soccer game. But for a moment, people forgot their troubles. And they celebrated together. And it was a wonderful thing to see. But the truth of the matter is, that victory didn't really change anything, did it? Eventually, they're going to have to go back to the way things are in Argentina and face reality. But the really wonderful thing is, as we're talking about Psalm 98, we are celebrating because of reality. Because of what God has already done. And because of what we know he will one day do. So look at verses 7 and 9. Takes us there. The praises don't stop with the redeemed people of God. Creation joins in the song. I love this description. The seas roaring and rivers clapping their hands and the hills shouting for joy before the Lord. The whole of creation joins in celebration. And the reason, what is the reason for such joy? Yes, on the one hand, it's the salvation that the Lord has worked, but you see where we've moved in verse 9? We have moved from the first coming of the Lord Jesus to his final return. The reason for the joy, verse 9, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Don't let people today convince you that the idea of divine judgment is a negative thing. It is the best thing when we have taken refuge in God's Son. It is, according to the Apostle Paul, part of the good news. Remember how in Romans 8, Paul talks about the creation itself waiting for the fullness of God's salvation to be revealed. The whole of creation has been groaning as it awaits the revelation of the sons of God, as Paul puts it. And and there Paul is saying that the redemption of a new humanity represented by their head, the Lord Jesus Christ, the last and final Adam, the redemption of the new humanity goes hand in hand with the restoration of all things. The renewal of all creation will join, that renewed creation will join in the song. And so you see, we've moved from the first appearing to the second appearing of Jesus. Salvation has been worked and judgment is coming. And along with it, a great change is coming for this world and for all who have received the Lord's salvation. It means, friends, that injustice will be no more. Some of you I know have suffered tremendous injustice in your lives and perhaps you've sought justice in this world through 
civil courts and litigation. And at the end of the day, you've realized that man cannot really render full justice. One day there will be perfect justice and equity. Sin will be eradicated. The curse will be undone. Death itself will be swallowed up in victory. And we will, we will dwell in the presence of the Lord. Because as we were thinking about last night, remember the promise of God, God's dwelling place in the midst of his people. It will be in a new heavens and a new earth where his glory covers the earth. And there will be unending songs and shouts of joy and creation itself erupting in praise when the Lord Jesus appears to judge the living and the dead. And so yes, yes, we ought to, we ought to look back at what has already been done and, and rejoice today because we are, by grace, the recipients of God's salvation. But Psalm 98 is reminding us Oh, the good news doesn't stop there. We look forward to when he will come again to judge the living and the dead and to make all things new. That is why we sing. And we will have opportunity to sing in just a moment. No more let sin and sorrows grow, grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The curse lifted forever in a world made new. He rules the world in that day with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And this, this my friends, this is our Christmas hope. Not a, not a quaint story about a baby laid in a manger, not even a man bruised and bleeding upon a cross, but a king who has come and work salvation, and who is now crowned and reigning on his throne and is returning soon to reign over a new heavens and a new earth inhabited by the children of God, a home of righteousness, of life and joy and unending peace. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to wish you all uh, I want to wish you all well and say, may you find yourself singing a new song from your heart this morning, even as we have been and hopefully will continue to sing these old Christmas carols. And more than that, may he fill us with a sure and certain hope as we look forward to this great day when new songs will reverberate and <clears throat> with joy in a new creation. May the Lord richly bless you and your families this Christmas. And may he grant you a very, very merry Christmas. For the Lord Jesus has come and worked salvation. And he is coming again to judge the world with equity. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for everyone gathered here this morning. For the children in our midst. For those who are even nearing the end of their race, for loved ones and friends visiting from out of town. We rejoice in your amazing kindness to us, for the sense that we have of being profoundly one in our Redeemer and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those in our midst who are feeling the, the loss 
of a loved one this year. There are uh, empty seats in our homes and around our tables and in our pews. And amidst the sorrow, we pray, Lord, that they might know uh, resurrection hope and joy, not found in circumstances, but found in this Christmas hope that one day all things will be made new. And we pray that each one of us, Lord, would take and receive the gift of salvation that you have revealed, that you have made known to the nations. Thank you for the reminder that Christ is for us. And so help us to receive him, that our songs might be made new because our hearts have been changed, because our hearts have been made new, that we may find our place in the new creation where Christ our King uh, reigns. For we ask all of these things in his holy name. Amen.